Our reading is from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you do not see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Peter Davies. I've been attending the 4pm service for probably 12 years, 12 years. Um, it's good to see so many people here. Uh, we came, Anne and I came to this service uh, two weeks ago, 1st of January, and it was very sparse. So it's good to see people come back and we're all here in fellowship together. So that's great. So why am I speaking today? Uh, I was asked by Kate Day if I would be willing to speak at, this, uh, at the service where we send her off again uh, to return to South Asia as a missionary. I agreed, and so that service is at 4pm today with a picnic following. Uh, she's not here this morning, I believe, uh, but I've been asked to talk at both services. So I watched a video clip recently uh, of a pastor being questioned about his ministry. The question was, it was a, a Q&A, uh, how do you front up week after week giving a talk and on the whole not knowing what real impact it has on the congregation. And he said, if I preach the gospel each week, I can do no more. It's up to God how he uses that. He then quoted some figures, I'm not quite sure how solid they are, but he said that it, uh, the, the data shows it takes seven years of ministry in a congregation to achieve much. Um, we've mentioned Carl this morning and he was with us a decade, so that's good. Um, so how does what we hear make an impact in our lives day by day? Uh, this is largely the work uh, of God by his spirit. But we do meet together to encourage each other and to help each other in our walk as fallen sinful people in this world. So this is a one-off talk, so we need lots of help so that we understand each other today. So I'd like to pray. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time we have together, this precious time set aside. Uh, I just ask that your spirit would be here, evident amongst us this morning. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we can put aside those cares of even this day, those things that we are thinking about later in the day for the afternoon or the evening that we can put aside the things that have troubled us in the past week and that we can actually be here in the moment, that we can be listening to you by your spirit and that you would speak to each one of us as only you can speak. 
I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, most of you will not hear this morning, will not know about my Welsh heritage. I was born in Wales and lived there till I was 10 years old. I did primary school in the Welsh language, which is my mother tongue, in South Wales. That part of Wales, south of where I lived as a child, is famous for its coal mines and is affectionately known as the valleys, or the Welsh would say the valleys. One of those towns is called Merthyr Tydville. Uh, there's been huge suffering from the coal mining industry there with lung disease from the coal and heart disease following the lung disease. The communities are traditionally tightly knit and tough. They're a bit like our West Coast mining communities here at Queenstown, Z and Rosebury, etc. Of course, these communities champion their heroes even more so than we do. One of these heroes was a young boxer 40 years ago by the name of John Owens. Now, Owens is a very Welsh name. He actually weighed 52 kilos, or 115 pounds, and was 172 centimetres tall, five foot eight. They put him in the bant this put him in the bantamweight category for boxing. I had to look that up. He was very fragile looking. He actually changed his name to box from John Owens to Johnny Owen. Um, and that was his boxing name. His family and friends feared for him that one day he would get badly hurt, but he was prepared to die for the glory that a world title would bring. Johnny Owen challenged the World Boxing Council champion by the name of Luke Pintor for his world bantamweight title on the 19th of September, 1980 losing the contest by way of a 12th round knockout after being knocked down for the third time. Owen left the ring on a stretcher, never regained consciousness. He fell into a coma and died seven weeks later in a Los Angeles hospital at the age of 24. A celebrated sports journalist in the UK by the name of Hugh McAvaney in one of the most elegant passages of sports writing, wrote of his young friend, Johnny Owen. He says, it is his tragedy that he found himself articulate in such a dangerous language, the language of boxing. So that's the title of this talk. In which language are you articulate? We will come to that later. Let's look at the passage that we, was read for us this morning from 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We'll go to. So verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This can never perish or fade. What does that mean? Well, it can't disappear. It can't be only part, it's the total that it was meant to be, and it can't be damaged. If you read on, where is it stored? It's kept in heaven for us. So how do we get it? 
it says further on, from God by the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. I learnt lots of things last year working as a missionary doctor in Niger, West Africa. When the evangelists or chaplains, as we might call them, presented the gospel at the bedside, they often first talked about creation and how we are uniquely created by God for purpose, his purpose. We are, but we are perishing because of sin. The question that was posed by the evangelists commonly was, would a maker creator abandon what he has created? The answer is a resounding no. The actual, the patients got that, they understood that, and they often said themselves, no, God would not abandon his creation. They'd say, well, you don't let something you make go to rack and ruin on the whole. So God put a plan in place so that his people, his creation, could be rescued. What is that plan? So the plan is his son, Jesus, coming and dying and rising from the dead. Verse 4 says it's an inheritance. What do we understand by an inheritance? We usually get an inheritance from what is written in a will and the legal system sorts out how the inheritance is distributed. There are all sorts of odd problems with inheritances. Some of you might know some of them. Sometimes the money has been squandered and there's nowhere near as much in the will as the beneficiaries thought there would be. Sometimes the will gives the money away to a charity and not to the family who are expecting it. Sometimes the will gives preference to some members of the family over others, and so it causes lifelong conflict. Sometimes a non-relative receives a large part of the money. Sometimes there are multiple marriages involved, and stepsisters, stepbrothers, etc. sometimes long distant from the family. They're named as beneficiaries in the will. So a human inheritance can perish, spoil, and fade away. It's not just that recent events have battered the worldwide financial markets, it's also, as the experts repeatedly remind us, past performance is no guarantee of future results. So financial advisors encourage investors to make good investment decisions based not on recent results, but on sound strategies. They generally won't count a potential inheritance in your wealth assessment. Not so with the inheritance stored in heaven. Compared to, compare all what I've said to God's children's heavenly inheritance. God's past performance is actually a guarantee of his future results. God graciously ensures our heavenly inheritance. It will definitely be there. There's no ifs and buts. It won't be given, given to anybody else. It is stored for believers. In a normal inheritance, the person has to die before the inheritance can be distributed. Is that the same with the inheritance from God? Verse 9 says, For you are, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's present tense there. So we get the inheritance partly while we were still alive. 
What a conundrum. An inheritance partly now and completed in the future. Uh, theologians talk about the now but not yet conundrum. It's been a discussion in theological circles for over 100 years. I actually read up who started the idea. It was at least 100 years ago. Um, so that's where we're at now but not yet. We have our inheritance partly but not fully. Well, what happens in the meantime? Verse 6. Now for a little while, you may have to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. I think the may have to is not really very good reading. I think it's better read that we will, not may will. We all suffer grief and all sorts of trials. I'd like to look at... Um, lives of Christians in a bit of a theoretical way. Um, I like graphs, so we're getting used to them and they're used more and more in the media and in sport to portray visually what is happening. For example, the, the worm on the BBL cricket, the stock market, market graph, the election night reporting, the COVID data on the news, etc. We're all used to graphs. Graphs are incredibly useful. I love maths. Um, when we, so the first graph, so these are my attempts, so on the, uh, from your left side there, that's the uh, x-axis, January, February through to December, I've just portrayed some dates along there just for interest, and then on the y-axis going up is perfection at the top. So is this what the Christian life is like? So when we start our Christian walk, it's quite glorious in many ways. It's a joyful new life that gradually fades to humdrum of ups and downs as we face trials. Is that people's experience? Is this the way people's Christian lives go? Is it an ever upward journey? where each month or year we are moving upwards and onwards in our newfound life of following Jesus. I think this is more what the Christian life is like. Certainly it's what it's like for me. Uh, the ups and downs occur at regular intervals as we face all kinds of trials. So I look around here, there are more trials <coughs> in this room amongst the people here this morning than we can number, I'm sure of that. Some of them are huge trials, massive trials. Some are small trials, but there's lots of trials, and they're all real. Since Christians sometimes struggle to love God more than anything else, and also struggle to live, live, love our neighbours as much as we love ourselves, that's called narcissism. We can then wonder if that disqualifies us from salvation, from the salvation of our souls. Has God snatched it away from us, given it to more deserving Christians? Well, the answer is no. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. We don't keep our salvation by being faithful, kind, or obedient. 
nor do we automatically squander or lose it by failing to be Christ-like. But verse 6 says we are to greatly rejoice because of these trials we face. This means we're to live joyful lives in the knowledge that nothing can separate us from God and that our inheritance is safe and secure. This is our hope. How then are we to live? So what is our present experience of our living hope? The benefits of the Christian life are not confined to the future. We can and do experience a taste uh, of the first fruits of our hope, even today. Peter, in this passage, offers three answers to the question, which we will look at briefly. The first one, he says, is increasing faith in verse 5. Um, it says that by God's power we're being guarded through faith. Uh, in verse 8 he says that though you have not seen him, you believe in him. Though we have not physically seen God, we experience his power in us as he guards and strengthens our faith through the world's troubles. Practically, what does this mean? We need to trust God more and more in our day-to-day -day struggles. This means going to him first at all times and to other people later. I think all of us get that back to front. We need to go to him first and then to other people later. Also, we try to fix things ourselves. We're all guilty of that and not acknowledging that we're struggling. What else do we experience? We experience increasing love in verse 8. Though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. We know him through the word of God. And the more we know him, the more we love him. It's pretty meaningless to say that you love someone you don't know. But as your knowledge of Jesus grows, so also will your love for him. Practically, what do we do about that? We need to read God's word. You can do this by yourself or with others or listen to, be, to, listen to it being read on your devices. Read more of God's word, ask more questions, find out what is not clear for you. At the service two weeks ago, Cameron talked a little bit about reading the Bible in a year uh, or reading the Bible with other people. For Christmas, I received a devotional book for 2023. And on the bottom of it is the guide to read the Bible in the next 12 months. So, of course, I started on Christmas Day, the 25th, so I'm a week ahead for the year. But um, I've already started reading Genesis and Mark, and I've read them lots of times before, but it's pretty exciting each time to pick up the word and read. So through that, I'm getting to know God better. And so then I can love him more. Then there's indescribable joy, verse 8. We rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Well, it's described as inexpressible, so I can't expand on that because you can't express it. Uh, I looked up some words in the dictionary and it says you could use indefinable, unspeakable, untellable, unutterable, but it's joy at the end of the day. 
Unfortunately, I have known Christians and have heard of Christians that have appeared to live joyful lives. I've admired them and then seen them fall right away. We are not to judge, but it means that our day-to-day -day struggles are at the very end a very personal thing. We have to be frankly honest with God about where we are and how much are we trusting in him. We do have the opportunity of meeting together like we are this morning with other believers and sharing our struggles and encouraging each other and building each other up, which is so valuable and is the reason we're actually in fellowship together. I think that for me just lends to a plug for the growth groups as we start in 2023. So that's something that as many of the congregation as possible should be involved in at another time during the week when you can meet with fellow believers and encourage each other. For sure, joy is not something we feel or experience in the same way each day. But we all have had days when we are filled with joy at the thought and knowledge of Jesus, and it's beyond our ability to understand or explain completely. It's not happiness, it's different. Happiness is an emotion that is dependent on our circumstances. Christian joy is rooted not in circumstances, but in Jesus, and is therefore something that we experience even in hardship and suffering. I have um, some aversions at Christmas time. I dislike the greeting, Merry Christmas. For two reasons, Merry doesn't fit with me, and I don't like the X mass. I'd rather it was written as Christ Mass. I'm a bit more comfortable with Happy Christmas, written as Happy, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S. But I think the French have it better still, because they say Joyeux Noël, which means joy at the birth of Jesus. Isn't that much better? Joyeux Noël. They've got it right. Noel comes from the Latin word meaning to be born. So joy on the birth of Jesus. This is what we actually celebrate. The most beautiful rescue plan for a sinful world, starting with the birth at Bethlehem as prophesied. Let's just stop there for a minute. The graphs assumed we were believers already on the journey. But we've actually got to get to the starting line to be on those graphs. Verse 3 says, You can receive a new start, a new birth, by knowing that you are sinful and need someone to pay the price for your sinfulness. Jesus has done that by giving his life. He arose for the, from the grave, verse 3 says, by the resurrection, so conquering death on your behalf. Then you can have eternal life. If there's people here this morning who haven't actually made that step, then please consider it seriously. Talk to someone about it. Delaying addressing that issue is a dangerous pastime. You will get to the finish of this life. There's nothing more certain after being born than the inevitability of death. The big difference is with our new birth, Life keeps going. It never ends. So this is what we have 
happens to us when we die on earth. I think you can follow that. Our up and down topsy-turvy life, we suddenly die about halfway across the graph and we're perfect forever. No more ups and downs. We immediately receive our full inheritance. All our trials have disappeared. Our lives will be perfect. This is the true hope we have in Jesus. I learned a bit more about this hope in the hospital ward in Africa again, in a fresh way. We were in an 18-bed ward. Uh, that's like, a, we don't have those kind of wards anymore in our system, but massive ward with nine beds on each side. Uh, and most of the beds occupied. And of course, in the culture there, there's always relatives about, at least one or two per bed. So you've got a captive audience of 18 times two or three. Um, and everybody's listening. Uh, and the evangelist was giving a talk about the hope that Christians have. And he was using a word, it's spelled B-E-G-E-N in the Hausa language, which is begen. And that's the correct word for the hope that we've been talking about this morning, the sure and certain hope. It became clear that the word was not understood by nearly everybody in the room. Uh, I was a bit surprised because I actually knew this word because uh, I'd been going to church and I'd heard it said there. But, and it was very unusual for me to actually know a word that the local people didn't understand. So we paused for a minute and the evangelist explained the idea some more and asked them how they would express, what words they would use to express that kind of hope that we have in Jesus. And they used an expression which was, I'll just say it in Hausa, sa which is actually translated to put your whole heart into it. So it's to trust it fully. I thought that was very helpful to explain that sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus, we can actually put our whole heart and mind into it. It's, it's there, we can believe it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, so back to the, I showed a picture of a boxer at the start, Johnny Owen. Which language are you articulate in, was the question. He was articulate in a dangerous language that led to his death. Kate is leaving later this week to go back to South Asia. She has three languages that I know about. She's articulate in English. I think we all agree. But now she's getting moderate, moderately articulate in a South Asian language where she's living and ministering. She's not going as a tourist, where you can barely function outside the tourist areas. And when you do find someone to speak to, to you in English, the conversation is very superficial. That's often our experience as tourists. The language she's developing will open doors for her, will give her more and more understanding of the culture where she's living. As they say, language is culture. She will spend more time trying to give more, to get more articulate in this language 
studying it and talking more and more to the people in their native tongue. The third language that Kate has, and we also have it if we follow Jesus, is the language of the gospel. That is actually why she's going to South Asia, because she believes that the gospel has the power to save completely all who believe and who receive the inherit and all who believe and receive this inheritance. Um, sorry, I'll go back. She's going to South Asia because she believes that the gospel has the power to save completely, and all who believe will receive this inheritance that we've been talking about. They'll receive it now and in the future, now but not yet. We need to pray for her, for her language acquisition, for her relationships, for her ministry, and for her struggles in day-to-day -day life. Kate's life will look like the third graph because she hasn't yet reached perfection. So we need to pray for her. Are you articulate? in this language of the gospel. Do we live it day by day? Are we showing by our joyful lives that no matter what our circumstances, we completely trust in what Jesus has done for us? Going back to Johnny Owen, he did die. He was prepared to die for the glory. The unusual thing about the gospel is that in a beautiful way, you can't actually die for it. When you die in this life, you have eternal life, guaranteed, an inheritance in heaven for believers. I think as my, my hero in the New Testament, um, from the human point of view, uh, is the Apostle Paul. I think this is what Paul really understood he was prepared to be persecuted and die in this life while telling people about Jesus because he knew about his inheritance. It was clear to him that this life was transient, temporary, and that an eternal life was his reward. I met a pastor on Friday on the um, seaport boardwalk. He, off he says he often uses the illustration uh, like this life is like being in a transit lounge at an airport for the Christian. We're waiting for the next flight to take us to our final destination. So that's not bad. I just shared with him, I was giving a talk about hope and inheritance and he shared that with me. So here are the steps to summarize today. Verse three, receive a new birth because of Jesus. This new birth, verse four, was a guaranteed inheritance. Where's it stored? in heaven. Verse 6, we have continual trials to refine us. This will lead to praise, honour and glory when? When Christ returns. Not now. And we should not be seeking those things now. Verse 8, we have not seen Jesus. No one here is 2,000 years old. But we love him and believe in him. And verse 8 and 9, this faith fills us with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for we are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Our difficulties are not worth comparing with the indescribable joy that Christ is giving us. So the take-home message today for the believer is 
now but not yet. We have an inheritance stored in heaven. We're receiving it partly now, but it's far beyond our comprehension of what it is in total. We shall see that one day, and we should all be looking forward to that day. I want to um, pray to finish, and I've stolen a prayer from Peter Adam. Peter Adam was Carl Dienick's significant mentor for the last probably 15 years of his life. And I've adapted this prayer a little bit, but it encompasses what we've been thinking and talking about this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made me in your image and you are transforming me into the image of your Son by the power of your Spirit from one degree of glory to another. Help me to trust you in times of weakness and frailty. Help me to repent and pray each day and not fail through moral relapse. Renew my inner nature day by day by your Spirit. Help me to pour out my heart to you when I am distressed, stressed, disappointed, hurt or depressed, and find your compassion and comfort in times of trouble. Please help me to grow in patience, wisdom, humility, grace, love, trust and openness. Please rid me of jealousy, competition, bad temper, self-pity and constant regrets. Guard my tongue and keep me from slander, lies, untruth and from causing unintentional hurt. Help me to see that any slight momentary affliction is preparing me for an internal weight of glory beyond all measure and help me to look not at what can be seen but what, at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Please help me to trust you for every aspect of my life, past, present and future, and to roll all my anxieties on you. For you care for me. Amen.